All right, Justice, uh, with the call to worship, stole my scripture that I was going to use today, but we can turn there anyway to Luke chapter 2, and we'll be just fine hearing it again. When my son Ethan, who's eight, heard that they were going to practice the entire service today, he looked over at me with great concern and said, my legs are going to kill me. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, have you ever stood in the same place for that long? (laughs) So it's it's tough being eight, you know. Wow. (laughs) All right, we're in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are a God that loves to see your children fellowship with one another. We thank you that you are a good God that loves to see your children go forth and proclaim the good news. We thank you, Lord, that you are a good God that encourages us to spread um, true joy to the hurting and to the lost. And I pray, Father, that you would bless your word as it goes forth today. We want to be people um, that are moldable, that um, are willing to be shaped uh, by your word, Lord. Um, We confess and admit that we are fallen and in desperate need of you. We admit, Lord, that um, we are the clay, Lord, and so make us a soft clay that can be molded um, into whatever you deem best glorifies you, Lord. So help us now to hear your word um, in its truth, and in its entirety, God, and may you be honored above all. Amen. All right, so the focus of the story here is there's a couple different groups being talked about, and I want to talk first about the shepherds. Um, The shepherds were just ordinary people, Uh, and the interesting thing is this. The angel could have been sent to the top Pharisees, to the best Sadducees, to the sharpest scribes and scholars of the law, but God chose the lowly and the outcast, to first hear the message of what he was doing. 
And I was actually kind of thinking about that, actually, when we were singing the song um, earlier, Gloria and Excelsis Deo. I was trying to think if there was any other stories in the Bible of people on earth hearing angels um, sing or worship. I, I couldn't think of any. Maybe you guys can. But I just thought it was kind of neat that these low um, shepherds experienced heavenly worship, not while they're in heaven, but while they're on earth. And that was something that no one else had experienced, and God blessed them with that gift. So he chooses the lowly and the outcast, and we see from the beginning of Jesus' birth that God is about to turn things upside down. He's not bound by social norms. He's not bound by human hierarchy or economic position or anything else. And he's going to use whoever and whatever to accomplish his purposes. And what's the pattern we see? He uses those people which other people wouldn't think of using. He uses Moses. Moses was so afraid God had to send Aaron with him to be the spokesman. He uses Peter, who sticks his foot in his mouth at every opportunity he gets. He uses Paul an overzealous Pharisee who murdered Christians. And yet God used them. And God uses ordinary people for his own work. Take the shepherds here. here. I mean, think about it. God's entrusting sacred truths to these shepherds. There's a ton of doctrine and truth in this, which we're going to get into a tiny bit. But these shepherds, um, by the Jews of their day, were looked down upon. Um, they were looked down upon in part because they sometimes preyed on lonely travelers and would be robbers. Um, they were looked down upon because of their uh, job required prolonged absences, thus they couldn't always be in the temple to fulfill their obligations. They were looked down upon because at times they had to actually work on the Sabbath. Someone has to take care of, of the sheep. One rabbi commenting on Psalm 23 said, there is no more despised occupation in the world than that of shepherds. And along with gamblers and tax collectors, these shepherds were regularly listed among the despised trades um, in the Jewish writings, the Mishnah and the Talmud. Um, why is that important? Because God chooses them. They couldn't even actually test. They were not considered... Um, reliable witnesses in court, so they could not even testify in court. They couldn't be witnesses in court, but here's the thing. God chooses them to be the first witnesses. So he chooses these lowly and these outcasts. And listen, if these outcasts can be chosen by God to be witnesses that the world didn't deem fit, guess what? He can choose us as well. And he gives them the good news. He gives them the good news. Here's what it says in Ephesians. Turn there, if you will. Keep your, keep your finger in Luke, but we're going to uh, go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What brings you near? The blood of Christ, right? His sacrifice. Notice it doesn't say you were brought near by works, right? It doesn't say you were brought near by your baptism. No, it's by the blood 
of Christ. Whenever you see that reference to the blood, it's referring to the redemptive work that Jesus did on the cross. He was sacrificed so that you could be forgiven of your sins and live. Look a couple chapters over, Ephesians chapter 5. It says this in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness. It doesn't say you were living in darkness. That would be a true statement, but that's not what it says. It says you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And one more passage I want you to see. It's in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 21 it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Okay, so once we're alienated, we're hostile, we're doing evil deeds, what has he done? He's reconciled us through his death. That is what the believer has. So listen, God calls, he qualifies, he confirms us through his word. And part of that calling and qualifying and confirming is to be witnesses. God declares it, and as such is true. Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Okay? He doesn't say, I hope you'll be my witnesses. You might be my witnesses. No, you will be my witnesses. And if you're a believer, you're one of the witnesses. Notice what happens back in Luke when the angels first appear to the shepherds. First words out of their mouth, out of the angels' mouth, verse 10, fear not. Why? Because they were filled in verse 9 with great fear. That's a, probably a pretty good reaction when an angel appears to you. In fact, that's usually the reaction in the scriptures. Um, The angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Notice the contrast in verse 9. They're filled with great fear, and the angel is bringing them great joy. Uh, The same Greek word there, great. So, Luke is is drawing attention to their great fear and what the angel is going to have is great joy. The fear becomes replaced with the great joy. So fear not, which is a good word for us. I mean, God is in control, amen? He is the Lord, he's the king, and we are not. So we submit to his lordship. We submit to his rule. We concede control and hand it over to him. And sometimes when the Lord speaks, it can frighten us. We might feel prompted to share the gospel with someone. Fear. We need to make an unpopular family decision. Fear. We want to step out in faith. Fear. But the word here is fear not. And if you're walking according to his word, then you trust him each step of the way. Not fearing, God wants us to trust. Think of when a dad tells his young child at night, as he puts him to bed, don't be afraid. 
right? The kid's all nervous and scared, scared of the dark. I mean, the implication is that the dad is going to protect the child. He might even say something like, I, I'm not going to let anything hurt you. Okay? We need that same reassurance from our Heavenly Father. Don't fear. I've got this. Okay? So in the worst of trials, in the worst of circumstances, whatever God brings into our life, he's got us. Um, I remember when I was, I was younger, I'm kind of more, uh, whatever the word is, introverted, I guess. But when I was younger, my mom would always try to like, encourage me to get out of my you know, little small comfort zone and kind of assert myself in situations. And she would always be like, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And usually it was me involving having to ask someone for something. So the answer was always, they'll say no. What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. You want them to do this. You're hoping for this to occur. What's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. Um, well, what's the worst that, that happens? What's the worst that can happen to the believer? What's the worst? I mean, the absolute worst is, is death, right? But how bad is death? I mean, not the actual dying part. That truly can be actually pretty awful. I'm not trying to be funny at all. Um, but how bad is death? Because death the scripture says, is gain for the believer. Anyone know where that's at in the scriptures? Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Each one of us, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Guess what? Each one of us is going to die. And if you're a believer, by dying you gain. You gain. So either that verse is true or it isn't true. Guess what? The verse is true. It might not feel true. It might be hard to believe, but it's true. Death is a win-win scenario for the believer. It's not a gain for the unbeliever. It's, it's not a gain if we're not immediately in the presence of God. It's not a gain if we're eternally punished. That's not gain. But for the believer, it's gain. So, fear not. God has us. He knows what he's doing. I wanted to look for a second at what this uh, angel pronounces to the shepherds. Because he says in verse 11, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So we get three titles. Savior, Christ, and Lord. There's, this is rich Christology. This is rich things that we're learning here about Christ. I just want to touch briefly on it at some point in the future. It'll be a full sermon. But it was too rich that I just didn't want to pass it up. Um, Savior. The identification of the Messiah Lord as Savior was really counteracting the claims and the cult of Caesar Augustus in verse 1. So he makes the pronouncement, and he is seen as the Savior. The way he commonly promoted himself was Savior of the common folk, or Savior of the world. And the official litany of accomplishments that were listed, Caesar Augustus postured himself as the Savior who inaugurated a new 
and propitious age of peace and order and prosperity. So here's Augustus doing it from a worldly perspective, and God says, no, this is the real Savior. His name is Jesus. Who's the real Savior? The baby laying in a manger, not the one in Rome seated on the throne. So that's Savior. Christ, that's the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means God's anointed Davidic king. So the Messiah was to come. Now let's look for a second at that word Lord. It says a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here's the interesting thing. In the Old Testament, this title was exclusively reserved for none other than God himself. It was only used for God. But here, we're being told that this baby is going to be Christ, or the Messiah, the Lord. Um, What we might normally expect, if we were Jewish people reading this, is we would expect the construction to maybe read the Messiah of the Lord. That's what is prevalent throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah of the Lord. Um, But that's not what is happening here. It's not Messiah of the Lord. It's not Messiah with the Lord. It's not Messiah by the Lord or Messiah from the Lord. It is Christ the Lord. Okay. So this is making a claim to deity for Jesus in the very second chapter of Luke. From the very beginning, the angel is giving doctrinal truth. Now let me tell you something. If this angel bears false witness to the truth, if he takes a message from God and gives a different message, do you know what his punishment is? He is, uh, the Greek word is, he is anathema. That's what Galatians says, right? Paul says, uh, why don't we just turn there? Uh, Galatians chapter 1. Paul says this in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so important, I mean, Paul states it again in verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Um, that is the worst possible curse a person could receive back then, the anathema. So this angel, if he is giving or bearing false witness to the truth of Jesus, would be anathema. He has to be a faithful messenger. He has to give the truth. He has to make sure that he does not try to reinterpret the message or change the message or massage the message. He has to give the message as it is. And that's what he does. He's the messenger. Okay, what does the messenger do? They just take the message and, and, and pass it on, right? They take the message and they, they don't add to the message. They don't take away from the message. They don't change the message. A faithful messenger takes the message and they pass the message on to those they're told to pass it on to. That's what this angel is doing here. And he is giving us literally the gospel, the good news, he says. This is the gospel. And if we get 
Jesus wrong, if we understand Jesus wrongfully, if we don't understand who Jesus is, we ain't got the right gospel. We don't have it. So from the very beginning, before Jesus is born, these angels are appearing. They're given the message, right? He's born. Gospel truth from the very beginning. And from the beginning of your walk with the Lord, you have to have the truth. You have to have gospel truth. You have to have biblical truth found right here in God's Word. And listen, Scripture gives us a very high view of Christ. A very high view. And we mold our opinions and our minds and our beliefs to what the Scriptures reveal. We adopt the view of Scripture. And the view of Scripture, God's Word, let God be true, right? Though every man a liar. God's Word is precious to God Himself. So He is serious about His Word. He takes it serious. And He makes sure that His messengers, these angels, give the accurate information. What's the confirmation that the angel was legit? Notice what the angel does. He confirms his announcement with a sign. What's the sign? You'll find the baby wrapped in cloth in a manger. Now imagine after the angels leave, right? The, the shepherds are like, did, did he say a manger? And the other, you know, other shepherds are like, yeah, like a feeding trough manger? And they're like, yeah. I mean, when they saw a baby in a manger, I mean, how many, have you all ever seen, besides the little Christmas display thing or whatever, I mean, have you ever seen, besides little Jesus in the manger, have you ever seen a baby in a manger? No, neither had they, okay? That's a little unusual if you think about it. This little baby being born like a barn in a feeding trough, right? Okay, it's kind of, kind of awkward. But that's the sign, that's the sign. So there'd be no doubt when they saw this baby in the feeding trough that the angel's word was confirmed. What's their reaction to the word that they're given? Look back in Luke, verse 15. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they received the word Right? The word's given to them. The word's preached to them. They received the word. Uh, this, this idea of receiving the word is talked about a few times in Scripture. I want to look at just two of them. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says in verse 13 of chapter 2, this is Paul, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So they received the word. What's evidence of it? They become imitators of the other churches of God. That's the evidence that they received it. Look at James chapter 1. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, 
Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James is saying, like, you got, you got stuff in you that you need to get out and you got stuff out there, the word, that you need to get in, right? You need to receive the word. What does it mean? It means you're making it a part of you. You're embracing it. You're fully accepting it. You're welcoming it in. The word's out there, and you want it inside of you during the, doing the work that God wants it to do. Think of uh, the picture. If someone comes to your house at 2 o'clock in the morning, um, if you decide to open the door, <laughs> how are you going to open it? <laughs> You're probably just going to crack it open a little bit, okay? Maybe some of you have a weapon with you. I don't know. <clears throat> But you're going to just crack it open just a tiny bit, especially if you ain't got any glass on your door. You're going to just crack it open a tiny bit. Why? To see what's going on out there. And if there's a problem, you can quickly close it. But that's not what we want to do with God's Word. All right? We want to throw the door wide open. Think if someone showed up on your doorstep, you were expecting one of your best friends you hadn't seen in like 15 years. The doorbell rings. Right? I mean, you're throwing that door wide open, right? Giving that person a big old hug. Listen, that's how God wants us with His Word. All right? The door wide open, the door of our heart wide open to receive that Word. Uh, Paul talks about this. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6. He says in verse 11, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Okay, It's the same Greek word both times. Widen. Some versions say open. It's the same idea. And that's what, that's what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to do this with the Lord. Open wider hearts. Some of us are door closers. We're just walking around keeping doors closed, making sure nothing gets in, nothing gets out. Not even the Lord himself we don't want there, really. Well, when we do that, we're shutting out God's Word. and We're shutting out an opportunity for Him to work. We're shutting out an opportunity for Him to speak to us. And the Word of God wants to get in. We're not supposed to shut it out. We're supposed to let it in. Once we receive that word, then we've got to act on it. We receive it, and we act on it. We receive it, we do something about it. The shepherds acted on the word of God spoken by the angel. When the Lord speaks, we have to receive the word and act. What did they say back in verse 15 of Luke? Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So the Lord makes known something to us, and we act on that revelation. It could be something small, or it could be something big. A broken relationship that needs healing, the Lord shows us that. Hidden sin that needs confession, the Lord shows that to us. A character flaw in our life that he wants to remove, the Lord shows that to us. And notice what it says in the very next verse, they went 
with haste. They went with haste. They acted, the point is, right away. They didn't wait till morning. They didn't delay. They acted on the news right away. They went with haste. And what did they do with the news? They told everyone. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just a word for them. It was a word for them to share with other people. Verse 18 says, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Okay? But this wasn't just Mary and Joseph. It was all. All who heard it. So there's some group of people, we don't know how many, the scripture doesn't say, but they were telling people this good news. I mean, these shepherds, honestly, were the first evangelists. Think about it. Uh, let me conclude with a couple things. One, um, the shepherds, when they went out to their field that night, um, they weren't expecting anything from God that night. And I feel like, I feel like that can be us a lot of times that we're not expecting anything from God. And that's not the way to be. Um, Matthew 13, 58, it's one of maybe the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, he did not do many mighty works there, talking about Jesus, uh, because of their unbelief. Matthew 13, 58. So the Lord wants to speak. I mean, he wants to speak to us. We got his word right here. He wants to speak. Are we listening and are our hearts prepared to receive his word? And then are we prepared to act on it? Are we ready to hear him speak and then do something about it? Uh, the father of modern missions, William Carey, here's what his famous motto was. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And I think we should be expecting on a regular basis for God to speak his truth to us. It's not a matter of whether he wants to or not. It's a matter of if we are willing to listen and spend the time to hear from him. When God speaks, he wants us to hear it, to receive it, and then put it into action. And here's the thing, friends. We've been talking about the good news today. I mean, think about this. God himself, right? Christ the Lord. God himself came in the form of a man. Okay? The, the, the rescue plan, I've got this little kid's Bible. It's, it's amazing. You all should get it, even you adults, and read it. Uh, because it's so good, because really it, it gives what's called biblical theology its proper place. The idea of what's called biblical theology is like, how is God working the whole picture throughout the scriptures? Not just like honing in on Exodus and Moses, but like how is God working his redemption plan from Genesis to Revelation? And it really is a rescue plan. And guess what God did? He was the one who came himself, him very self, to rescue us. He came as a small, little baby. He entered this world. He could have done it, maybe, I don't know. This is how he decided to do it. I would submit this is maybe the only way he could have done it. 
sin had to be dealt with. Guess what? The cattle, the oxen, if that was sufficient, we'd still be doing it today, right? Really, that just covered the sin. It just covered it, right? Just kind of put it in the background. It had to be dealt with. It had to be fully dealt with. Only God himself could fully deal with the problem of sin. And it's fully dealt with by him coming as an infant to live the perfect life, to have the sin of you and you and you and you and you and me placed on him so that you did not have to suffer the punishment for your sin. It's called the great substitution. Jesus takes your place. And I don't know about you, but I want, I, I'm very thankful that Jesus takes my place. I'm very thankful that he takes my place. And he offers that for each person here. He will take your place. He'll take your place. He'll take your place. How does he do that? It's called through the gift of faith. You have to trust Jesus to do what you can't do on your own. You have to trust him. The Bible calls that faith. Putting your trust in Jesus. Turning away from some of those verses we read early on. Turning away from the evil deeds. Filling it with the righteousness of Christ. He does this work. He does it in you. And maybe some of you have heard this message before and you haven't responded. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't put off tomorrow. Don't procrastinate. Let today be the day for you. God wants to adopt you into his kingdom. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants you to go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when you do that, in an instant, your sins are washed away. In an instant, you have freedom in Christ. In an instant, you have eternal life with him. And then, and then, death truly will be gained for you as well. Your heart needs to change. It has to come from a heart change. You need God to touch you. And if he's speaking to you, my encouragement is this. Let him continue speaking to you. Receive the word. Receive it. That's what James was talking about. Receive it planted in you. Receive the word and let it do its work. The creator of the universe, friends, the creator of the universe, he wants a relationship with you. That's an amazing thing. But he doesn't just want a relationship with you as like a friend to a friend, maybe the person you're sitting next to, you're friends with them. He wants a relationship with you as father to child. That's a very intimate relationship. Maybe you haven't had a good father example. <clears throat> well, now you have an amazing father example and God the Father himself. And he will be far better than the best father on earth could be. He will be your heavenly father. And he will give you a life that, that honestly will just blow your mind. I just remember when I first trusted in Jesus, 
I mean, for weeks and weeks and months and months, I just, I just walked around sometimes. I just start almost like, I just get a smile on my face when it just, I mean, it just like occurred to me again, like, dude, like, God loves me. And like, I'm part of his family. And like, I can talk to him anytime I want. And I have this relationship with him. I mean, it's just, it blew my mind that the creator of the universe wanted to know me. Of course, he already knew me. He knows all things. But he wanted me to know him. He wanted me to be in fellowship with him. He, he wanted me to walk with him. Um, friends, if you do that, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. Will there be challenges? Yes. Will there be trials? Yes. Will there be tough days? Yes. But Jesus promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you. He'll even carry you every step of the way. He will give you hope, not for tomorrow, not for the next week, but a hope that lasts a lifetime because you have a hope from Jesus himself to be with him one day again. So I encourage you to trust in Jesus. Turn from your sins, trust in him. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts. You know each one of us personally, intimately. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, I pray you'd continue to speak to them right now. I pray that you would give them the gift of faith, that they would put their trust in you, Lord. They'd take, Lord, that first step of believing in you. You are such a good God. Thank you. And I pray for those, Lord, that maybe they're not sure. I pray, Lord, that they would seek out the truth on that matter because their eternal soul is at stake. And you don't want them doubting. You want them knowing for sure, one way or the other. So may they seek that out from a wise counselor, from a parent, from a Christian friend. And Father, we thank you that you did give us the good news over 2,000 years ago. And it was you. We thank you that you are mighty to save, that you are the Savior, that you are the Lord, and that from the beginning, <clears throat> from before the beginning of time, Lord, you have been working all things to your glory and that you had a rescue plan from the beginning to redeem us, your people. We thank you for that, and we love you, Lord. Amen.